He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. No! Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Almost live from the shadow of the Magic Kingdom in Orlando, Florida, this is Two True Freaks. Star Trek Monthly Monday number, what is this, 22, I think? 23. <laughs> 23, holy shit. And I am Scott Gardner. How's it going? Good. Oh, and uh, and I got this other dude with me, uh, Chris yeah. Honeywell. And I'm Chris Honeywell. Hi. In the shadow of um, a big ass, the third biggest tree in Rochester, New York, next door <laughs> to my house. So yeah, as as you guys may have figured out, this is a fresh Scott Gardner settled yes. into Florida. Well, sort of, sort of. You know what? Had great news today. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, I posted up on Facebook. We, uh, oh. my wife called me up today, very excited. We got the uh, whatever you call it, approval, whatever on the house. So basically, we, we had two houses. Oh, I was telling you the other day about that scam. That I, I call it a scam anyway. It's here, a scam. Here, yeah, to bring the listeners up to speed on it. Here, here's what I call a scam. All right, it seems here in Florida that every goddamn place you look to rent down here, you know, houses or what, everybody wants an application fee. Now, I guess it's supposed to be for, like, running, like, a background slash credit check on folks and everything, but the the prices of these things vary wildly, and it, they're crazy. I mean, they're really expensive. And the way I look at it is that you could make a sweet amount of money by just buying yourself a house, putting it up for rent, and just charging person after person this fee, but never actually renting the property. And you'd make money hand over fist because I'm talking like that might be a little illegal. or upward. Well, I don't. Yeah, it probably. <laughs> you'll have to check with that. We'll have to but, check with the demand for lawyers. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never heard of this before. I'm wondering what the, you know, I'm wondering if it's if it's watched or regulated or, 
it's pretty crazy. I never heard about anything like that. But anyway, in the past week, we've done two of them. And, uh, you know, it was for two different places. And there was one that I was just in love with that I thought, wow, this place, it, it totally suits our needs. It's actually a little bit bigger than we actually need. And it's just gorgeous. Really, really nice place. And then there's another one that, like, suits our needs. It's really nice. It's just not as nice as the first one. You know, it's per you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I just like the other one better. And so my wife calls today. She was, you know, really, really happy, really excited, which is, you know, it's the first time I've heard her really happy and excited in a couple of weeks because she's been nervous that, you know, up till now, you know, we were all set to move, but somewhere to actually go, you know, other than, you know, maybe crashing with, you know, here with Mark where I'm already at, which wouldn't really work. You know, I don't want to dump, you know, it's bad enough that I'm here imposing on him. I don't want to dump the whole family on him. You know what I mean? So anyway, we, you know, she got the word today and we got approved for the first place, the one that we really want. So I'm, I'm very excited. I think that's totally awesome. So Within the next uh, week or so, you know, we'll be we'll be getting settled into the new place, so that'll be pretty cool. Awesome. So I'm I'm very excited. I thought I, that was. I cool. hate packing up, but I love moving into a new place. It's always yeah, fun setting yeah. up your stuff. You're right. Yeah, I was gonna say I hate I hate moving, but you're right. I do kind of like the settling into a new place. You get to, I like unpacking and settling in, but yeah, yeah you packing. get acquainted with all your stuff again that you might have forgotten about. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Reacquainted, I should say. Very excited. I, you know, I, so far I really like uh, I really like Florida. Everything's going really good, except you know, there's little things that you know, there's there's always that adjustment period, you know, where where you find out little things. Because uh, tonight there was, well, I guess this could happen anywhere, but you know, where I'm at right now is is literally like you know, as I said at the beginning, in the shadow of the Magic Kingdom. So you know. There's just, it's so busy here, and there's still from all over the world in one place, you know? And so you're dealing with a lot of people that aren't familiar with customs and the way things are done, or even with the language. So tonight, you know, just before we started recording, I, I ran real quick to Walmart just to pick up a couple supplies and was going to be in and out, you know? So I flew in there, and I was in and out, and like, you're intending to be in and out in like five minutes. Grabbed what I need. I had like three items, and I go to go to the uh, the express checkout lane, and there's one lane open, and this dude whips right in front of me as I was walking up on it, and he's got like like a month's worth of fucking groceries, and he's in the like 20 items or less thing. I wanted to punch him right in the back of the fucking head, you know? <laughs> that kind of shit just oh, yeah. fucking irritates me. I mean, that could happen anywhere. But the guy clearly, you know, once he got up there, and that I was surprised that the cashier actually said something to him, which I really didn't. They normally they usually never say anything. Yeah, and he actually did say something to the guy, but the guy, you know, he he didn't speak the language or or pretended not to. One of the two, so the guy kind of cut him some slack. But I was pissed. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure where I was going with that story, but you wanted to punch. It was one of those. Yeah, stories. that was that was it. Yeah, I just wanted to hit something. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, the other day, simple necessity. I broke down. I bought one of those TomTom -tom things, and I'm I'm loving this thing. It's one of those navigational things for your car. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know what TomTom -tom is. And there's all these 
character voices in there, and there's a ton of Star Wars stuff in there. Nothing for Star Trek. How could there not be a Mr. Sulu or or like Mr. Chekhov, you know, the, the navigator or the helmsman, you know, giving you directions? Or, or a Shatner. Or You'd think Shatner would be yeah. all over that. Yeah. Maybe no, there's some I maybe there's some licensing thing with Paramount and the company that owns TomTom. I don't know. I, I was know. I was disappointed though that not one Star Trek for I mean I would I would settle for even one of the you know the the more well, obscure shows you know like like TomTom Tom isn't the only you know, one you know there's other there's other brands uh, and maybe they have Star Trek you know That's true I hadn't thought of because I'm sure, like, one hey, would, those, Star Trek uh -huh. sound effects would be awesome, you know? That would be very cool. That will, Well, one thing that is neat is that you can uh, you can download different icons for what your vehicle is. And uh, I downloaded a bunch today, and one of them was the Enterprise. So you can actually make, it's, you know, the, the, the vehicle on the map that's zipping around. You can actually make it the Enterprise if you want to. But. It's too bad Magell... Roddenberry wasn't still alive. You could have the Star Trek computer. Oh God, that would be, that would be perfect. That would be awesome. I would love to have Hal, the computer as <laughs> your as your. I wonder if that guy's still alive. I don't know, but that you know that you would you would have to get Hal with your voice, so it would be like, take a left turn, Scott. <laughs> Scott, they do I'm have, not comfortable uh... with the speed you're driving at. It would probably be a good idea to drive slower, Scott. <laughs> me out, actually. They do have Kit. That was in there. I thought that was kind of funny. That's a gi that's a gimme right there. But, but you know, where are you I headed was, with this, my well, friend? Well, I was I was in a Star Trek frame of mind today, right? So as I was, you know, I went out for my little trip to the store and was driving back. I was actually looking at the, the screen on the TomTom -tom thing, and it, it got me to thinking about something, which is, you know, as these Star Trek movies, but he, he, I guess this criticism also used to happen with the old show, but especially like with the movies, as the movies age, there's a tendency to look at the, the computer graphics in the movies, you know, like, like, say like in Star Trek II, when the Klingons are attacking at the beginning of the movie in that simulation, and to look at those graphics and think, wow, you know, those those are really dated and, you know, we could do so much better today and everything. But then I was like looking at the TomTom -tom screen and thinking, you know, this is basically like 8-bit Nintendo graphics, you know, and here we are in the age of like the Xbox and the the PS3 and everything. So, you know, Even maybe so I noticed I don't know if it was TomTom, -tom, but I, I was riding with somebody who had one of those and we were on the throughway. Uh huh. And if, if say if there were no other cars on the thruway, uh huh. With with, I think he had a time. Whatever it was, he had. You could have blacked out his his front, you know, windshield, and you could have driven the thruway. If if you would have kept your little icon right in the middle of the road, you know, because as he, we were alone on the highway, and he's like, watch, and he would go to one side of the road and. You know, his little triangle would be on that side of the road, mm -hmm. and it would just be in real time, like a video game. And I'm like, "That's cool." Yeah, but it and doesn't. But it doesn't draw like like people and buildings and cars and shit. No, that's what I'm saying. You yeah, would have to be doing I mean, it the with one no other cars on the road. You yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they've built them yet that sense other cars, but it's only a matter of time before all the cars have some sort of built-in, 
you know, receiver transponder thing that, that you know, you will be able I, to see the other cars. On, you'll be able to see the traffic up ahead on your TomTom probably. I have already predicted the day when a vehicle will come out that doesn't have Still, it has a control grip, like like say like an Xbox controller for right. driving your car. Right. And I would totally be I would be down for that, you know, like a like a wired controller that was basically an Xbox or a PlayStation controller. And you know, you've got one button is the gas pedal, and you know, you got your other buttons for the the windshield wipers and the door locks, and then your little yeah. But the problem know, of that is, is, what if you have electrical failure, or your wire gets broken, or whatever? You know, at least with physical brakes and a physical steering wheel, you can always <laughs> you can always turn. You know, as long as you can move your arms, you can turn the car. If your electronics uh, go in that car, not, yeah, there's a lot of cars these days though that if the if the electronics, you know, if the electrical system fails, you're you're just as fucked. You can't steer it. Yeah, that's so, sc- that's scary it, it, to me. Scary, it actually is scary. All right, so anyway, I'm sorry about that digression. We are going to look at the classic Star Trek episode, The Alternative Factor. This episode first aired March 30th, 1967, and take it away, Mr. Honeywell, on the synopsis. All right, I have crafted today my own synopsis, since um, you are free-floating and don't have your um, usual references oh, with I you. Oh, I brought them with me, Mr. Smartass. <laughs> oh, you did? I did bring them with me, yeah. But that's all right, go ahead. All right, so... <laughs> The alternative factor. The Enterprise picks up a strange and mysterious time traveler named Lazarus, who is pursuing an enemy who threatens the existence of the very fabric of existence of the universe of everything. Does this make any sense? Don't worry, it won't by the end of this episode. And that's it. (laughs) That about sums it up. Okay, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to the point. That's my synopsis. And uh, I, uh, when I finished my synopsis, I said, you know, that kind of makes sense. And unlike this episode. And I said, I'll leave it at that, you know, and I'll and I'll and I figure as we fill in the details, that will also fill in the confusion that I'm assuming that you also experienced as you watched this this episode. Yeah, you know, this was one that, you know, I wasn't, like, dreading it or anything, but this is one of those ones I wasn't exactly looking forward to because I I didn't remember it very well, but what I Me remembered neither. was just the that vague feeling of, meh, you know, having you know, always walking away from this and just kind of going, nah. But I couldn't really give you specifics on it. So... I wasn't looking forward to rewatching it, but at the same rate, I was like, "Well, maybe I'll like it better," you know, because that that seems to be happening. Yeah, to a both lot. of us that you know we'll watch one that we're kind of you know lukewarm to at best, and then we kind of like it now, and, and that happened with this one. For all of the Kirk Spock McCoy moments in this one, I really liked because I thought this had some great Kirk Spock moments. But the rest of it, the actual story, you know, the A plot was the, stupid. The, if you call it a story. Yeah, I mean, 
I think the major problem with this particular episode is that this is an episode that clearly, at least to me, suffers from the the special effects and budgetary limitations <laughs> of the 1960s because it's not it's actually yeah. not a bad story it, it really isn't it's just every time we get that sequence where uh Lazarus, where the nebula shows yeah, up it's and... like what the fuck you keep showing me the horsehead nebula for and and the spinny weird shit and then you've got the Enterprise corridor and photo negative and in that stupid battle and it just, that takes a, a chunk of the episode just with those two figures fighting in that hallway over and over and over again and the music's really annoying and it's like you know it, it, it took a, a a fairly you know a fairly okay plot and just kind of ruined it by poor execution I thought but it, it, it wasn't bad and I do kind of like you know well, I don't want to jump straight to the ending, but I, I'll just say I did like the ending. I, I like that Kirk, you know, I always like the ones kind of like how, uh, you know, an episode or two back we we did um, Who Mourns for Adonis. And at the end of it, you know, Kirk and McCoy felt bad for what they did, you know. I mean, it had to be done, but they felt bad. And the same kind of thing happened in this one with Lazarus, you know, in the in the end you know, Kirk felt for Lazarus, even though he was a psychotic freak. You know? What of Lazarus? <laughs> what of Lazarus? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we're going to be in disagreement on this, this show. Cause I don't know if those, I, one of my notes is those Kirk Spock McCoy moments didn't seem to like McCoy like it was weird i was thinking at first that mccoy might not even show up on this episode uh, you know or you would just he would there was just sort of a little bit of talk uh, through the you know communicator with him but when he does show up he just sort of like spews out a mccoyism and then walks off screen and <laughs> everything seemed per perfunctory to me you know it was like all right we have to have this 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 but without a coherence to me, this was like the Roger Corman low-budget <laughs> Star Trek where, like, the story doesn't really make sense. I understand, yes, okay, there's two Lazaruses, and one Lazarus is crazy, and he's in the antimatter universe, and he has decided that he's going to destroy everything because he can't stand the idea of there being two Lazaruses and everything. Okay, but, and, and... And they're switching back and forth, and they're sort of in between, and and you know, I mean, yeah, it's hard to sort of portray that theoretical idea, and it's done very awkwardly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but it, at least I love the music. I love that the, those musical cues they use during it. So that's at least was at least fun. I loved it. This one was full of all the all the dramatic music cues, the running and the. Well, it's all, all it was that. all recycled, I noticed, right. too. It, it none of, I don't think there was any original music in the episode. I heard, uh, you know, some of, uh, let me think, there was clearly Enemy Within in there, Man Trap, uh -huh. and I think there was some where No Man Has Gone Before, and even some of the Cage in there, too. But I definitely heard a lot of uh, Enemy Within in there. 
And they, you know, they just used a lot of the melodramatic yeah. cues. I mean, come on, that Lazarus is, was super. He was like also a melodramatic, chew, chew the scenery actor that didn't quite make it for me. He wasn't, you know, he was trying every entrance he makes on the plant, the Gorn planet, which is what I call it. I'm like, isn't that the exact same place? That he fought the Gorn. Yep, and I think that's also the same place where Kirk and those, I don't know what the hell they're called, the one with Catwoman in it, where uh-huh. she's going to have the, the Praetor's baby or whatever the fuck. Yes. I can't, I don't remember that episode very well. I never liked that one, but yeah, there, a bunch of them. And I think that it may have even, there may have even been some parts from uh, Bread and Circuses that we watched not long ago in there as well. That, that were filmed there? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, every entrance that Lazarus makes there, he basically comes out and goes, and then, like, falls onto the rocks, you know? So it's, yeah, thud. And, you know, so he's super melodramatic, but I think the most, like, you hear that? What? We got, I got fire trucks coming from every direction. I hope they're not coming here. Well, (laughs) we'll find out soon enough. But... (laughs) The most melodramatic part of Lazarus, I thought, was his fiber optic mustache and goatee. <laughs> what the hell is up with that thing, man? It looks like a, you know, one of those Christmas ornament things. It looks like you could plug it in and it would start doing that color shift from red to blue to green, you know? It, it just, it was bizarre. Okay, so I understand. He's got a space mustache, you know? He's a space schizophrenic with a space mustache. <laughs> space mustache. <laughs> I get it. And another thing I notice is they seem to have a lot of extras in this one. I think this was definitely, you know, like when they first went down to the planet, they brought four red shirts uh-huh. and they didn't waste any of them. I, no, they? I was fucking disappointed about it. Uh, ooh, there's going to be a lot of death in this one. Yeah, really. They got four red shirts and then we get to see Lieutenant Masters. Chris likes his Lieutenant Masters. He, he would like to see... Lieutenant Masters show up in more Star Trek episodes. I don't think she does. Uh... I'm going to come back to that subject, actually. I've got a couple things about uh, about Lieutenant Masters in my notes. I like Lieutenant Masters. Yeah, she's cute. But, um, you know, it's just it's one of those things where it, they just were just there's always something a little, little careless in the story, but this one had, you know, I mean, alright, so Something is happening, and it's weird. That's all you know. It's weird. The universe is blinking in and out and whatever, and, you know, it's so apparent that, you know, Starfleet knows about it and tells the Enterprise it's happening near you guys. You're in charge of saving the universe. And then they determine that Lazarus is sort of at the center of it. So Kirk brings him aboard the ship and just sort of, like, doesn't even keep track of him. Just sort of lets him have run of the ship for the most part, you know? And doesn't he steal dilithium crystals twice? Yep. Twice. Yeah, that's in my Same notes. Same guy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing, like, super powery about Lazarus. He's not, like, even really a decent fighter or anything. He... Uh, he may not get the impression that he's not even the brightest guy in the world but he steals the lifeblood of the Enterprise twice twice 
<laughs> so you know, I mean, I I mean, okay. After a certain point with episodes like this, I'm willing to just like relax and and let it all go, you know. So I'm not I'm. I'm thinking so far this might be the worst episode yet, but I I say that without any like conviction because I didn't hate it. You know, I wasn't sitting through it going, oh God, but at the same, at the same point, it wasn't really giving me anything to chew on. I was just sort of watching it going, okay, <laughs> this one seems sort of thrown together. The thing I love about the like the thing I love about this episode is his UFO time machine mm-hmm. thing. I love that thing. That's really cool. It's a really well designed prop. It's pretty and, uh, uh you know, for this show it, it's pretty elaborate for something that we'll never really see again except for pieces. Like the dome will serve as the dome for the uh preserver. Teamsters uh-huh. of Triskelion, and a couple other pieces of the ship get recycled too. But other than that, I mean, that was quite the fucking prop to just kind of disappear. I mean, maybe it wound up on like, I don't know, fucking Lost in Space or something like that, you know, some yeah. other show. But I don't know that it was ever reused, you know, in Star Trek, you know, as as one complete piece. So, yeah, it's one of the few times they really. Went all well, out. I got the impression they kind of like they took they, they definitely made they definitely kind of wrecked it because they had the one you know where you go into the negative dimension and it's wrecked mm-hmm. and you know where they obviously they just sort of removed the 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 dome from it and moved that over <laughs> but uh you know the rest of the ship was at an angle and kind of crushed up and stuff so maybe they maybe they mashed it up for that take and. And then chucked it after that, you know, filmed that last. But uh, that was my favorite part of. I, I mean, I enjoy those cheesy, like, okay, the nebula shows up, and then you're fighting in the negative dimension once. Right. But not every five minutes, you know? Right. I mean, all they had to do, really, after the first time, was do the spinny. The Batman show used to have the transition with the with the bat signal, or you know the the Batman emblem. It would like come at you. Yeah, do something like that as the transition when when the Lazarus is switched back and forth, just to let the audience know, okay, this is a transition from one to the other. Yeah, because the you know for one thing, then you're saving time and you're not showing the same stupid footage over and over and over again. But then also. Maybe somebody in continuity could have got their shit together and kept the two Lazaruses straight because that's another thing that suffers in this is that it doesn't work. You know, the the bandage on the forehead is supposed to be the visual clue to the audience of which Lazarus is which. But I'm pretty sure I meant to go back and check this, but then it turned out I really just didn't give a shit enough about this episode to go back and check. But I'm pretty sure the first time we see Lazarus, you know, when Kirk meets him, he's already got the bandage on his head. So it's like it's out of order, you know, out of sequence in the episode or something. Right. It's really wacky. Is it? Is this pre-Enemy Within? No, this is... Uh, After Enemy yeah, Within, so it's recycling the whole scratches on his face, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's another thing that I didn't like about this is when McCoy notices it, 
Kirk, you know, Kirk, you know, McCoy is his trusted buddy. Kirk is just like, oh, McCoy, you silly goose. Right, you know, yeah. I'd laugh if there wasn't big trouble going on and, like, just leaves him. And, and McCoy several times goes, no, Jim, I'm not kidding. I di you know, I know what I saw. This is important. And he just, bah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, you know, keeping in mind... You know, naturally, nobody expected... You know, I don't think it, reruns really existed when shows like this were coming out. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think there were such things as reruns yet. And oh, I think they did do reruns. And, you know, there definitely wasn't episodic TV to the point where they were paying close attention to continuity episode to episode to make sure that there was consistency and things like that. So, you know, taking that into account, it it bugs me that, uh, you know, these guys get selective amnesia and they don't seem to recall things that they should from time to time. And this episode suffers from that in a couple instances, like, you know, you just pointed out with Kirk and McCoy, you know, he should be more trusting of one of his best friends, you know, and, and the fact that McCoy suspects something is funny, you know. And Kirk shouldn't be so dismissive about that. And it turns out to be something that's sort of the key element to solving the whole <laughs> riddle. Right, and the, the one that I caught was there's an exchange between Kirk and Spock, and it's done as a very dramatic moment of the episode where Spock... I, I forget which one says which line. I think it's Spock that says it's something to the effect of, you know, a single creature you know, with godlike power that could, you know, destroy the entire universe or something to that effect. And it's Kirk says, yeah, pretty hard to believe. And I'm thinking, what's hard to believe is that you assholes have forgotten entirely about Gary Mitchell. Gary Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. You know, just a couple episodes back, you know, single creature, godlike powers could end the friggin' universe. Yeah, you know, that guy. It's like, yeah, so it's not so fantastic after all. There's actually a fucking precedent for it. So, yeah. A precedent that they were, you know, that it was, um, oh, what was Gary Mitchell again? Oh, yeah, it was Kirk's best friend. Right. They were best <laughs> friends, that's right. I knew they had some relationship, you know. <laughs> there was some reason Kirk should remember Gary Mitchell. Yep. <clears throat> what else you got for notes on this one? Because I got a ton. Did I say Lieutenant Masters is hot? <laughs> Well, let's see here. I've got a mix of both my own personal notes and then just some interesting little trivia tidbits that I picked up along the way. Um, this is the first episode of Star Trek to deal with the concept of parallel universes, although I don't think it handles the concept very well. <laughs> no. And, and when it comes up again... Now, I could be wrong. I think the very next time it comes up is more than likely the Mirror Universe, you know, Mirror Mirror... Don't they act like it's a brand new concept all over again? Of course they do. Of course they do. But, you know, I guess we got to cut them some slack because, you know, I guess there weren't many mirror, you know, alternate universe stories in these days. So they were sort of maybe breaking some ground, at least on TV. Right. Now, you had mentioned... Uh... Robert Brown's kind of lackluster performance as Lazarus in his defense he was a last minute replacement 
guy who was originally cast to play the role was Drew Barrymore's father, John Drew Barrymore. And he was cast, but then he never showed up. He was too drunk or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the story was. And uh, so they grabbed Robert Brown, who it turned out he had actually worked with Shatner previously. Um, I, know, I think it was a Western or something. So they actually knew each other. And I don't know if Shatner had a hand in getting him the role or not, but it, you know, maybe it's just pure coincidence, but they, they had worked together. And then the, uh, the Screen Actors Guild uh, gave Barrymore a, a six-month suspension for blowing off the gig. So he was actually out of work for six months due to missing this episode. I thought that was interesting. Those are just a little couple little trivia things for you. My own personal notes, I've got some just, just observations more than anything. When we first see, I think it's the first time we see Lieutenant Masters, she delivers a report to the captain, something about, you know, blah, 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 we're in trouble, dilithium crystals, blah, blah, blah. And he tells her to re-amplify them. I'm like, the fuck is he talking about? I don't remember that at all. What the hell is a re-amplification of the dilithium crystals? I would love to know that. Because You turn them up and then you turn them up again. <laughs> So like I, I, I'm I'm serious. I really would like to. If anybody out there in listener land knows what the hell Kirk's talking about, I would love to know because it just it it sounded like techno babble that didn't actually make any logical sense at all. Right. Well, well, they could have said remodulate or recapitulate or right. rejiggerate, you know, or whatever for jigginerdoodle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you because know, to, to the best of my knowledge, the only thing the dilithium crystals is, you know, there's that huge deal that ends up being made in Star Trek four, where Scotty comes up with a way to actually recrystallize the crystals. Remember? And I think that's technology right. that they actually end up adapting in, uh, in next gen by the time of next gen we learn that they I would have, hope so yeah they have the, the ability to do that and so i don't know what the hell he's talking about it, it sounds like there's a way to like because she's saying something to him about you know the the crystals are you know basically you know the the rayovacs are going dead what are we going to do and he just tells her to reamplify them so it just sounds like a nonsense <laughs> command like here's what you do you take the positive end and you re amplify it back onto the negative end and you feed its own power back onto itself thus reamplifying it yeah okay <laughs> that doesn't work do. <laughs> sure it works it obviously right. it worked they were alive at the end of the episode in the uh, awkward dialogue department there was the part where uh, you know Kirk and Lazarus they have their little talk and everything and Kirk's like, all right, you're coming with me. We're going to go down to the planet and straighten this shit out. So they beam down there, and a couple words are exchanged. And Spock comes right out and says, you are a liar. Yes. And I yes. just thought that that was a very awkward, out-of-character moment that they would flat-out call this guy a liar. I mean, they don't know this guy you know, they don't know what the situation... I just... I don't recall that ever really happening before or since in... in you know, with the, with Spock in particular. 
You know, well, it doesn't seem like that would be the wording that Spock exact, would use. Yeah. He would say something like, it seems to me that the information that you are giving us is inaccurate or, you know, right. not factual. Yeah. You know, there's something that we're not, you know, you're not telling us something. Exactly. Or you know, or you're covering something up. But I don't think, yeah, it did not seem like something Spock would say. Would say he was a liar. Right. And at the... At the same point, also, the whole, whatever's going on with Lazarus threatens the existence of everything, so you think you might want to handle it a little bit with kid gloves. You <laughs> yeah. might want to be a little diplomatic, you know? You you might not want to call it, you know, maybe, and, and, and okay, it wasn't really presented like Spock was making a brazen move, you know, like Kirk would do, where he would say, you're a liar, you know, right. to smoke him out or anything it just seemed like it was an awkward yeah i think i think a lot of i think the writing in this was very awkward and the characterization of spock was not everybody was not quite right they they definitely got the idea of each character but each character was just sort of uh you know just uh would come out and do their you know Kirk was philosophical at the end and <laughs> and uh, uh I don't know I, I, I know you touched on this briefly but I felt it. like it you know it's I feel like it needs to be uh, brought up again I, I really would like an answer to this burning question why in the hell is Lazarus allowed to just roam the goddamn ship Dum de dum de dum. You know. Yeah, and, and, and he's doing shit like hanging out in the lounge and then like following people. He follows people out the door and acts very. I mean, you can see that one woman looking at him like, what the fuck is up with this guy? <laughs> and he's got that fucking greasy, weird space mustache and he's all like talking to himself and now he's like watching, you know, he's all into their conversation about the dilithium crystals. Aren't those the lifeblood of the ship? <laughs> you know? Well, you and know. She, Gives him the hairy eyeball and stuff, but then she doesn't go like, you know, hey, security. I mean, you know. Do you recognize that guy? <laughs> In the beginning, it's it's sort of understandable. You know, they, they rescued him from the planet. You know, they patch him up in sickbay. He's not doing anything particularly weird or out of the ordinary or what. But the situation no. just quickly goes out of control you know he like you say he acts suspicious about hearing about the dilithium uh kirk and mccoy find him in the hallway having some sort of seizure and you know it the the situation just gets progressively worse yet they never confine him to sick bay they never lock him up even when uh, Kirk and Spock finally come to the realization that holy shit he's a threat he's the key to this whole thing they still don't do anything well here's the thing regularly very regularly this anomaly is happening it centers around Lazarus wouldn't you if you were Mr. Spock scientific logic wouldn't you want to isolate Lazarus you know, in behind a force field and just sit there or even just have a camera on him and watch him mm-hmm. and see what happens when time and space goes all fucky and Lazarus does his Captain Kirk contortion 
and you know they would see you know the different la you, they would see what they would have figured it out pretty quick I mean I, it would have defeated the it would have you know ended the episode rather quickly but, <laughs> or they could have pursued it in different directions or something but yeah nobody acts everybody's acting just to serve the 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 story of it right. and and I just question that if there is a antimatter universe that um in all of time and space Lazarus is the first person to go space schizoid and be like I'm you know you know somebody somewhere else hasn't been like I'm going to beam a chunk of matter into antimatter universe you know and blow them up you know it was it just happens to be this guy you know <laughs> it don't hold water to me maybe someone could write a story retconning this <laughs> into something you know where Lazarus was lying about that too and come up with a better reason for what's going on you know with Lazarus and and here's here's the thing all right, so they put Lazarus to fight his double forever to keep him, you know, to keep them from destroying each the universe. What if the evil La Lazarus, you know, is lucky it kicks the other one's ass? Oh, yeah. You know, Kirk just assumes that it's, since it's the same person, they're just going to fight at deadlock. Well, they blew Forever. his ship up, though. He didn't, so he didn't have a way to get out. Oh, right? you're right. You're right. They just left him there. Yeah, he was like sealed in that corridor. What? Well, here's another thing. Why didn't they just fucking kill him? <laughs> Wouldn't that be more merciful? You know, Lazarus, come here. Well, I'll be quick and merciful. This is one of those Give episodes up. that does not hold up under close close examination because I found. I found two fucking whoppers in this episode. You know, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. All right. Here, here's yeah. Here's for or here's the two big ones right here. Is that you know, still on the subject of of Lazarus roaming the ship? There's a part in this where uh, Lazarus is on the bridge and he's ranting and raving and being a lunatic, and he storms off the bridge, gets in the turbo lift, and the doors close. And a moment later. Kirk nods to the security, you know, to the red shirt, to the security guard there, and he goes over and he gets in the turbo lift and he goes down. Very next fucking scene, Lazarus is roaming the ship again with no security watching. Right. Short while later, there's a report. Uh, security reports Lazarus is missing, sir. To the captain, I'm thinking, so that fucking security guard must have taken Kirk's nod as all right, go on break, you know, <laughs> or, or like go get me. Maybe it, maybe that nod was the go get my coffee break or go get the go lady get who rubs my shoulder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> go bring me a green woman. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then here's the best one of all. I actually did rewind this part and watch it again because when I caught it, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I literally stopped and I was like. No fucking way. Did I just see what I thought I saw? So I rewound it and I was like, holy shit. You, I guess you were just not supposed to pay attention in this part. All right. At the end of the episode, right? Everybody uh -huh. beams down. It's Kirk, Spock, Lazarus, a security team, and there may even be one or two other people in there. I forget. 
And Kirk says, all right, move out. And they're looking for something. I don't know, the, the other Lazarus or something? I can't remember what the hell they're looking for. They all walk in a single file line, and they're all, like, on the move, going somewhere. And Lazarus pulls an Indiana Jones from the, you know, remember at the end of Raiders where, where Indy's, like, marching behind all the rest of the Nazis and just, like, ducks out and goes on his own? Lazarus uh -huh. does the same shit. Except he's not the last person in the line. He's walking like right next to Spock. And he just fucking bolts and walks off in another. And nobody stops him. Nobody's like, where the fuck are you going? And, and they let him wander off. And that's the part where he ends up going up at the top of the cliff. And then he falls off. Remember? Yeah, again. Yeah. Well, that's, the, like, that's another thing that pisses me off is he's up at the top of that cliff. He kicks a rock down. It almost hits Kirk, but he goes, Captain Kirk, look out! And and so it misses him. And then Kirk takes that as, you saved my life. <laughs> and is all like, you know, in appreciation of Lazarus, you know, he's like, you know, the, the lion that got the thorn pulled out of his paw, he's like, Lazarus saved my life. Come on, Lazarus almost killed you. And he was nice enough not to let the rock that he dislodged because he was fucking around up there <laughs> kill you. It's you another know, it one of those things that doesn't hold up under examination because then it, that begs the question, it begs two questions. What the fuck was Lazarus doing up there? In the first, that's never explained. What was <laughs> exactly. he doing Exactly. Why was he trying to climb down a sheer rock face? It's never addressed and nobody asks him. Because he just likes to make an entrance by going, wah, and falling to yeah, I know. the rock floor. <laughs> and then Kirk never chews anybody's ass for letting Lazarus just wander off and fall off a, a fucking cliff. It's, <laughs> it's like, what the hell? I mean, this episode really is a mess the more that you, the more that you think about it. Well, you know... I mean, it's established that Kirk loves his ship more than anything in the world. He'll give up his life for it. Whatever. But still, there's these episodes where all of a sudden, he's just not paying any attention <laughs> at all, you know? He's, he's letting, the, you know... And this isn't just some guy that... This isn't like Cyrano Jones or some doofball like this. The universe is being fucked with because of this guy <laughs> and nobody believes what he's saying and he's just like ah well where is Lazarus anyway you know <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, couple it more. just didn't it, it didn't make no sense a couple more quick things um, no Scotty no Sulu in this nope. episode thought nope. that was worth noting um I watched the uh, remastered edition on this, and there's not a whole lot of change between the original. It's, you know, again, the, the traditional, you know, beefing up of the space shots. However, there is one scene in this, in the new one, definitely worth watching, uh, you know, worth the, the watch for this one is uh, when the Enterprise fires the phasers from space to destroy Lazarus's ship. That's cool as hell. It looks really, really sharp. It's a great shot. Because I was reading something today that uh, there was a, a big plot change between like the original story of this and then what actually wound up being filmed where 
she and Lazarus were supposed to strike up a, a relationship and it was going to, I guess the episode was going to end very much like uh, how Space Seed ends up ending at the end where, uh, what the hell's her name? You know, the, the, the she goes with him. It kind of like, uh, what's her name goes with Khan at the end. But in this one, I guess she was going to have the choice, you know, whether to, to go with him or not, but it was going to have very much that same like Space Seed kind of ending to it. And they ended up dropping the whole thing, but uh, yeah, they needed to put more of those scenes of him in the negative image world. <laughs> but uh, I, I did like that character. I'm curious if we do see her again because I really I didn't remember her at all. But of course, no, me neither. This was th- that this was probably I would say either this one or the Cloudminders is the episode that I have seen the absolute least out of all 79 episodes, probably this one. Cause I, I think this may actually only be like my third viewing ever of this episode. Yeah, me too. And, and in my brain, I get this mixed up with the one with the, with the Sheeran all the time. Oh yeah. That's actually and a pretty always... good episode. I watched that one not too many years ago. And I hated that one when we were kids. I remember yeah. uh, Randy and I used to really make fun of that one and hated it when that one came on. But I watched it, you know, a few years ago when it when it first came out on uh, on VHS and all that. And really, I think it. I, I think I know why we re- why we resented that episode. And it had nothing to do with the episode itself. It was because. When they made the Star Trek action figures, uh-huh. like you know, they made a Shiran one, right? And I and I remember there were just so many other characters we would have rather had, yeah, than a Shiran, and that was like one of the major like star. It was just like really a Shiran, you know. I understand that it's probably cheaper to make than you know some some other critter, but. That's a good point sure because really? I could remember when you know when when Randy had you know Randy had the Enterprise Bridge playset you know the Mego playset and he had um, all the 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 core characters you know he didn't have like the obscure aliens or anything but he had you know all the regular characters and I remember us both kind of scratching our heads and going you know here you've got the Enterprise playset that comes with helm and navigation and you they didn't release either character for that station right so and you get a and you get the shiran who it's like really (laughs) wasn't much of a like a big like like a klingon you know although they did have klingons and stuff like that yeah but it didn't have the shirons didn't have the personality of to where it's like okay you've got the shiran figure this is how a shiran acts you know i mean you could make stuff up and make him like two two-face you know where he's got his light side and his darks you know a good side and an evil side and he can flip a coin and stuff but <laughs> that's not anything you'd get from the show you know it was just like yeah what do you do with the Shiran? i painted him flesh color and made him into lex luther that's what i did that's with my right. Shiran. <laughs> that's right <laughs> you remember that i do now but uh holy shit about Lieutenant Masters, though, the, another thing I liked about her is uh, there's a, an interview that I think wound up in several different Star Trek specials over the years. Uh, just a brief little thing with Whoopi Goldberg giving her thoughts about Star Trek and why she was a fan and why she was so honored and everything to be a part of Star Trek. And she said that, 
for her as a little girl growing up in the projects that Star Trek was very positive and hopeful because it was the only science fiction thing that she could remember that, you know, the only portrayal of the future that she could remember that had black people in it. And I, I and not just black people, but I, black I distinctly ladies. remember her saying this. Yeah. And, and, you know, and not, not just black people, you know, I mean, there were black people, but they, they weren't in like any sort of like subservient role. They weren't in stereotypical roles. No, there was a black female who was on, on the a bridge. bridge. Yeah. Yeah. It's officer. A, a bridge officer. But yeah. she said that. And, and it always struck me as odd that she, you know, she did call out Lieutenant Uhura, but she, she said black people. She didn't say a black woman. And it always struck me as odd that she said black people because I thought, all right, you got Lieutenant Uhura, you got that black dude that the salt vampire turns into in Man Trap, and then you've got right. Dr. Daystrom who goes batshit crazy. Who else was there? And here you go. There's Lieutenant Matt. I forgot all about her. So she's, she was absolutely right. There there were black people. And I, I, I think that's neat. I, I think that's very cool. It shows, again, you know how progressive Star Trek was for its time. And, you know, here she was. She was as a lieutenant and in this episode i kind of got the feeling that she was taking scotty's place you know she was kind of filling the the interior yes. role in this episode yes well that's why i'm thinking that this was sort of a b-list low budget one where they were like we gotta have kirk spock and mccoy let's give the other guys a break you know and we'll <laughs> save some money and we'll, we'll bring in some you know central casting people to <laughs> to do you know to do this and we'll save some you know we'll save some money on this one you know all the special effects will be just done in the optical printing room and all we have to do is waggle the camera around and run <laughs> some dry ice you know and you got yourself an episode you know we'll we'll break out you know we'll go out back to where they have the rocks and we'll film some stuff in the rocks and and yeah but that's about all I got for... That's all I got on this one. You know, after close examination and talking to you about this, this episode fell even further <laughs> in my estimation than where it originally was to begin with. Because, wow, does it have some whopping plot holes in it. And just general wonkiness, I think. I don't find it, like, offensively bad, but it's just, like... Yeah, it's just kind of a careless episode to me. Yeah. It, just, it just doesn't have... It has the the um. It reminds me of something you would see from like a later season of a show, you know, when, you know, one of the later seasons when they're getting a little lazy and right, and summer yeah. vacation. Or that's something, a good point. Yeah. It does it does very much feel like a like a late third season episode. You're absolutely right. But it's right. a first season episode. It, it is. I, yeah. Right. Right. Of the of the first season, or well, I guess kind of toward the kind of toward, toward the end, closer back. to the end, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, one last thing before we go on break. Um, again, another little plea to the listeners. I tried to look this up and I couldn't find any information about it. So maybe there's just maybe that's my answer. But I'm curious if you know 
Lazarus was ever revisited? Did he ever appear again anywhere? You know, in the in the comics, books, whatever. I'm just curious um, if anybody he did. Yeah, I would think so because Jesus, you know, the comics seem to dredge just up about everybody at one point or another. So you know, there's there's you know between the you know all the comics and the zillions of novels that are out there. It doesn't seem like there's very many episodes that didn't get touched upon again. So I'd be surprised if, you know, something didn't happen with Lazarus, either a backstory for him, you know, that shaded or an outright sequel where he comes back or something. But if anybody knows, please let me know. I'm, I'm just curious. And with that, you want to go ahead and take a little break? And yeah, and we'll be right back with some DC Star Trek and uh, with issue number 16. Sweet. You knock upon my mind and you beg to borrow a cup of wisdom. You've come to seek the truth, to ask me where it's at. I thank you for your confidence in me. And yet, you see, I cannot draw for you in black and white a map you could follow in your quest for that which all men seek. For each man finds that road alone. Each day, as he eases himself into the stream of life, if he's lucky, he may come a little nearer to the goal. I, too, have been a prospector, wandering through the maze, buffeted by the storms and jagged rocks of life, that tore the nerve ends of my hopes and dreams. And like yours, my skin was much too thin to shield me from the inroads of our times. The big machines, the strangling crimson tape, the hate-filled moats that keep us from the other seekers, searching too for the road to where it's at. began to clear, and for me the truth shone forth as brilliant as a thousand suns. I had it all along within my grasp. The answer, so simple that I almost didn't see it. It's love. Loving someone more than you love yourself. Loving so much that you trust, you give, and you ask nothing in return. This is the purest form of love. And then, and this is the miracle. If the one you're giving to believes as you, you've found it, the treasure you've been seeking. You've found out where it's at. Alright, we're back, and we are covering the DC Comics Star Trek issue number 16, and I'm going to pass it off to Scott for his synopsis. 
Okay, thank you. This is the July 1985 issue. Cover on this is by Tom. And it just says Jansen. I'm assuming that that means Klaus Jansen. Looking at the very heavy, heavy inks on the cover, it certainly looks like Klaus Jansen. This issue is written by Mike W. Barr. Interior arts by Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. All the uh, usual suspects on this one. Original cover price was a mere three quarters. And the story is entitled Homecoming. So the Starfleet, under command of Captain Stiles aboard the USS Christopher Pike, is in position awaiting an, ex- uh, an incursion into Federation space by the Mirror Universe. But what Styles gets instead is the reemergence into our reality of Captain Kirk and crew aboard the USS Excelsior. Styles demands Kirk prove who he is, uh, or who he claims to be, and that he's not the evil Kirk. So Kirk points out that uh, he's now made an ass out of Styles several times, a point that I guess the mirror Kirk probably wouldn't be aware of. And with that, the embarrassed Styles proclaims Kirk to be under arrest. So the fleet then gets underway, escorting the Excelsior back to Earth's space dock, but Kirk hatches a plan during the trip. He has Uhura dash off a copy of the Excelsior's logs to an Andorian female reporter named uh, Lindra Dean. And shortly, the full story of how Kirk and crew once again save the whole goddamn known universe is all over the cable news stations. And as pro-Kirk supporters gather outside uh, the uh, Starfleet headquarters building, one pissed-off Admiral Turner, uh, he's the, uh, I guess he's like the CNC of Starfleet, he orders uh, Dean to be brought to him, which she is, Uh, But when he orders her to reveal uh, where she got the info, she basically tells him to piss off and she storms out of his office. So meanwhile, as they approach Earth, Kirk assembles the crew on the wreck deck, which is a great looking scene in this, except I think somebody forgot that this isn't the Enterprise. This is the Excelsior because they drew the exact same wreck deck right down to the little pictures of all the previous enterprises that we saw from like star trek the motion picture that's the picture that somebody drew and you know that doesn't really work because this isn't the right ship but anyway it's still a good looking scene and kirk delivers a stirring speech about how proud he is and that given time he'd make sweet sweet love to each and every one of them but this looks like the end of the road So they dock and Kirk, Spock, and Dr. McCoy beam to mysterious prearranged coordinates only to find themselves in a secret off-the-record meeting with Turner. The Admiral, who has figured out it was Kirk behind the news story leak, uh, chews uh, up one side of Kirk's ass and down the other. So Kirk finally tells Turner to just give him a ship already and he'll be out of his hair. So Turner agrees, handing Kirk the keys to the Excelsior, but then he tells Spock that he has to report to the science vessel USS Surak as the new captain. So the three pals, they depart in the turbo lift, and McCoy remarks that he really hates to see the old gang get busted up. But in a really great Star Trek moment for this issue, Spock remarks that if death itself can't keep them apart, the gulf of space is by no means insurmountable. I really liked that line. I thought that was a good moment. Mm Mm-hmm. So the issue closes out with Turner phoning up Styles to give him the bad news about the Excelsior. 
Uh, Kirk reports back to Excelsior where Savick congratulates him on once again changing the rules. And Spock reports to his new command where he immediately says something that would really off if I was under his command. You know, it's basically the the uh, first officer, you know, introduces herself and says, you know, we, we, you know, we welcome you aboard and, you know, we hope to make this the best ship you've ever served on. And he says something real dickish like, you know, well, that's going to be a real task or something to that effect. And I was like, that will require dick, some know? effort. Yeah. That, well, you know, but then again, that's pretty pretentious of them to have Spock who's coming. It's like, it's like, it's like, okay, it's like my band has somebody sends Paul McCartney to be in our band. And I go, well, I'm really hoping that, you know, this is the greatest band you'll ever be in. That's a good point. All I right, think he I'll would say something similar to what Spock would, you know, that <laughs> yeah, would require okay, some effort. It. Spock might have been being kind of nice, you know. That's an excellent point. All right, I, I, I'll give you that one. That's a good point. Especially after you've so, heard my band. <laughs> and uh, Kirk beams flowers to the uh, girl reporter as a thank you. Which makes me and, think there might be a little history there, do you think? There, yeah, I, th- I kind of got that feeling, too. I mean, he knew exactly where to send that little packet to. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, it's probably somebody, uh, you know, somebody he banged at some point. He he, he likes the rainbow-colored chicks, you know he what I mean? The, yeah, he likes the alien girls. Yeah, if they if they fall in the in the in the Roy G. Biv thing, <laughs> he's all over them. He, he's all over that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I really don't have a lot of notes for this one. I just I, I have a general feeling for this one, rather than you know, I, I didn't really get nitpicky or or anything. I just I kind of walked away from this one really digging it and really being. Uh, kind of stunned by all the parallels really strong parallels to the upcoming movie you know to, to star trek for the the voyage home right down to the the name of the of the story you know this is called homecoming yeah and star trek four was the voyage home and then also how the story ends because you know the the voyage home you know kirk saves the earth and at the end well you know all's forgiven we'll give you another enterprise to play with and then this one is kind of the same thing All's forgiven. We'll, we'll give you the Excelsior to go play with. So yeah, some really strong parallels between the two stories there. Well, Although I, I sort of like what they're doing by splitting up Spock. So when it, mm-hmm. I think they're thinking about when it comes back to whatever happens in Star Trek Four, because that's up in the air at this point to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're thinking. Well, we know that there's going to be some sort of you know recapitulation of Spock so this gives them an opportunity to put Spock out there and when it comes close to time to do Star Trek 4 and they know what's going on and they can you know contort their storyline to fit up with Star Trek 4 right it'll be a little easier it'll be you know they can you know the Spock will mesh up hopefully more I think that's what they're trying to do anyway yeah I can remember some of my feelings about this more clearly than I can with other issues from, from when I read it as a kid, because I remember being deeply disappointed that they did split up the old gang, that, that, that Spock got his own ship and went off to do his own thing. I remember really not liking that. And again, I think that lent towards me not sticking with the title 
much after this issue because it, it just didn't have the same feel. You know, Spock was back, but then he wasn't with them, and it just felt very awkward. But then also, I remember it also, you know, the the comics affected my feelings about Star Trek Four when that movie came along because it felt like Spock regressed. You know, because here he is, he's he's back to normal, more or less. He's back yeah. in his uniform. You know, he's back being a Starfleet officer. But then we get to Star Trek Four, And he's brain damaged. He's wearing the same clothes he was wearing at the end of 3. So, yeah. It, it, yeah, it was kind of a, an awkward uh, an awkward feeling. You know, it's funny, too. I remember not liking the, uh, the Uruses Surak as a kid when I saw it. I thought it was kind of a weird and kind of ugly design. But now that I look at it again in this issue, I'll be damned if it doesn't look a whole hell of a lot like the Enterprise C. Yeah. That we see way later in uh, Enterprise. It looks remarkably like it, I think. Which I actually like. That's actually a really cool looking ship, so But I, I liked this issue. It was it was kind of a, you know, short, simple tale that kind of put the capper on the uh, the mirror universe story. And I'm and I'm from what I've read uh, this story actually is in the trade of that collected story, so I thought that was neat that they threw it in there just to I, you know, I, tie I, the whole thing up. I think the art was a lot better in this um, issue than it was in the last one, for sure. Especially the ships. I thought the ships were really well done. The characterization for the most part was good. I think they were... Uh, Kirk was looking a little fudgy through this one, but everybody else was pretty good. Do you I notice thought they got Savick well. Savick yeah. looked good in this one. She does look good. Do you notice how every single panel of McCoy, he's got these eggs under his eyes? Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he hasn't slept since the original series. <laughs> yeah, he is kind of crotchety, but not that. He's not, like, sickly. <laughs> but... Yeah, for the most part, I really like I I I, I just I, I I like the writing in this comic. I think that this it's consistently good. Sometimes it's not, you know. Maybe it was, you know, it's such a relief after the Marvel writing. But I think you know the writing in this gets them into some very inventive Star Trek like situations, and it. It really captures the feel of original Star Trek, and I'm I'm just enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah, this isn't as exciting as the Mirror Universe, but it still feels like Star Trek. You know, it still feels like the the story is as long as the story is progressing on with these characters, you know, and in in that style, I'm I'm with it. So it doesn't have to be a battle or anything. You know, this one's more just sort of like. Just another example of Kirk getting a, you know, turning the tables on Styles again, and then w- walking away with his ship. Starts off being arrested by Styles, and then ends it flying away in his ship. Speaking of it strictly as a comic, than a Star Trek story, this is the kind of comic book that I've really come to like the best over the years. You know, I you know. You know that I, I love me some big over-the-top superhero brawls, you know, people getting knocked through buildings and stuff like that. But every once in a while, I like a really good, solid story. Well, it you shows know? confidence for, with the writers, you know. If they, if, 
it takes some confidence to do a story like this, you know? Right. That's that's just sort of character driven. That isn't big and melodramatic or or anything. It just sort of ties it up and and does it with a with the right character flares. I think this is a really nice capper to the to the Mirror Universe saga, which was all slam bam action and shit blowing up and a lot of fast paced moving around of everything. And then this one comes in and kind of, you know, it, it, it's the quiet ending to the whole thing. I, I like that. I, I really enjoyed this issue a lot. Yeah, it doesn't feel and they and all the resolutions are not forced into place. You know, it isn't. It isn't jammed into they. They use the story element of the of the Andorian reporter really well. To to you know forward you know how Kirk was going to get out of this because he basically had broken many you know, many many huge <laughs> rules in Starfleet or law. I'm sure laws and rules and regulations and you know for to the point of outright theft. So. I right. thought I, th- I thought that element worked really well, and it was neat to see a little bit of Federation politics. You know, you can see that the Federation can just grab a reporter and bring him to their office, which is kind of weird. But at the same time, the the reporter can be just like "screw you" and walk out too. Right, and and, and that you know, I like the whole uh, press pool where they were all sitting around going like. Why is she chasing down a story, you know? All you have to do is sit around and they'll tell you what to say if you just wait around long enough, you know. <laughs> so, that was that was pretty cool. That's about all I really got on this one. I I think it it could be questioned whether Turner should have been more pissed about Kirk. I mean, you know, they they say outright that it's the logs, the ship's logs are what got sent to that reporter. I would think that that would be a major breach of security. Yeah. Security (laughs) and, and everything else. But you know, this, the story has to progress and maybe it was somehow edited so that no like class of, you know, beyond the actual mirror universe saga, which I would assume was some sort of classified information itself. But I mean, as far as like, specs or anything like that you know none of that stuff would have been leaked to this reporter but well, still just the thought that they're really, sending logs if you want to be uh, really picky about it if you want to think about just politics if Turner is like okay he's the head of Starfleet or whatever or say he's the highest rank you know the equivalent of the president or whatever of Starfleet even for him to make a decision to like drop all chart you know uh, would starfleet be the kind of thing that would have one guy that is you know can make decisions like that where he says well you know he did save the universe everybody likes him or at least a good chunk of people like him i'll give him st- i'll give him you know the the excelsior and the whole thing where he was like what do you mean I'm giving you the best ship? It's already failed three times. I thought that was a really funny line, but yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't really... It still is probably the most expensive state-of-the-art ship, even if it is screwed up. But right. it does have Scotty on board it now, which is uh, <laughs> a good thing. So, But, you know, I mean, can he really make those decisions and just do that without there being a wave of scandal or somebody to say, 
Well, wait, Kirk is a felon, you know. We should at least that... uh, go through the motions of a trial and a pardon or, you know, an official pardon or whatever. You know, you'd think there'd be some red tape involved that's before handing over a point. starship. Yeah, that's an excellent point that I totally didn't even think about because in the next movie, you know, of course, they didn't know what was going to happen in the next movie. But, you know, right. with, with with the benefit of being able to look ahead, you know, we see that Kirk's exoneration in the film, you know, that was a decision of the council. You know, there wasn't one dude in Starfleet, you know, like Turner or Nagura or somebody to say, ah, just, you know, nah, just let it go. Yeah, it you doesn't know, seem mean, like that's the kind of organization that starfleet is that it would have you know sort of very you know people who could you know one individual who could just make extremely powerful decisions like that you know right i mean i mean at least i would have been you know had to have given kirk a full mental and physical checkup to make sure because i mean a okay he did say styles i made a fool out of you twice but who's to tell that the evil kirk didn't torture the hell out of her brain you know have a, <laughs> a mind sifter and figure that out that's a like a, a very you know it wasn't very specifically detailed thing that he said you know it's something that could have gotten muscled out of kirk and that's and from that point on kirk is like okay it's the real kirk I don't know, man. I would wanna, I would wanna do a little more research into that first, just to make sure. It, it, you know, because, and on top of all that, there was a huge invasion being anticipated, so the whole damn Starfleet was sitting, waiting, ready for battle, and, you know, everybody, you know, everybody was waiting by their space TVs to see what would happen. <laughs> But I, I'm willing to forgive all that because what the hell? You got to get Kirk in, in a ship. It's Star Trek, you know? <laughs> so you're going to have to go through some contortion to do it. And these contortions work for me. Works for me. And, it, you know, like you said, like you said, it, a lot of this stuff ended up in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Later. So, you know, somebody was thinking Star Trek. <laughs> well, that's all I got for this one. Yeah, me too. My favorite frame of the whole thing, my only other note is my favorite frame is Turner rubbing his chin and looking up at, and Styles is on the screen, like, smiling. And he's like, when may I assume is <laughs> command of the Excelsior? And he's all like, hi. And Styles, <laughs> I've got some bad news. And then it just cuts. I love it. <laughs> I love the I love the hand stroking the chin, pensive frames. Those always crack me up. I guess they didn't have the rights to use that uh, that actor's likeness. I used to know that guy's as Psyching, James B. Psyching. Uh-huh. I think that's his name. Uh-huh. Yeah, from Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess they didn't have the rights to his image or whatever because it, the the portrayal in here doesn't look anything like him. <laughs> Well, on that note, I'm going to say we'll move on to the next generation and to fit it all in the Hill Street Blues mode. Scott? Mm-hmm. Be careful out there. Drive <laughs> <laughs>
next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Ready for San Francisco, Mr. Whaler? Captain Picard visits the holodeck for an adventure to the past. Something's gone wrong. Everyone inside could vanish. A mysterious malfunction threatens their journey. This is not a game. Give me the gun. Trapping them in a real-life murder mystery. Shall I kill him? No. Kill the woman. On Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay, welcome back. This is the final part of the show where we're going to discuss Star Trek, The Next Generation. This time we're going to be looking at the episode, The Big Goodbye, which uh, originally aired the week of January 11th, 1988. Take it away. Yes. On a, <laughs> on a very special mission to jump through some hoops to coddle another pretentious and demanding alien race by memorizing an incredibly long and complex verbal statement which basically says hello. Picard finds himself sidetracked (laughs) when he is trapped in a Depression-era detective story in a malfunctioning holodeck. That was my own synopsis. I wrote it myself. You know, my was... God, man, I hate these freaking aliens, man. They're such <laughs> assholes, man. Uh, what, what, you know, in old Star Trek, the old space aliens wanted to beat you up. These ones just want you to fucking just, you know, roll over on your back and just piss all over your belly or something, you know? Ew. Well, you know... The whole history with this is like Picard has to learn this whole you know, like Klingonese type thing where it sounds like he's taking like a dump where he's shitting out razor blades and all to all that's basically so to say the greeting of this insect race correctly. Now, 20 years ago, some other idiot fucked it up and they haven't talked to us since, which tells me. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck their insect asses. <laughs> they didn't like the way you said hello to them 20 years ago. They don't want to talk to you. Fuck them. But no, we're going to, you know, Picard's going to learn this whole thing. And, of course, who's tutoring him? The most annoying, arguably the most annoying member of the crew, you know, Deanna Troy. And it's just fucking, you know, and... Ah. Uh, what what the fuck? Why do they put up with this shit? Don't, you know, I mean, well, is that is that why there is that why Picard is so pretentious? Is he just acting out because he has to put up with so much shit that he takes it out on weaker people when he gets a chance? I don't know. Well, wasn't it you that was telling me that that you have a pet theory about what yeah. these aliens were doing behind yeah. the scenes? Okay, I, I, I know yeah. insects aren't known for their sense of humor, but I think this. <laughs> These guys are fucking bastards, man. And they're they're like Andy Kaufman level humor where they'll play the joke out in twenty fucking years. They will hold this joke. They're like, all right, these guys. All right, twenty years ago, we slam basically slammed the door on their face because they didn't say hello right, you know. So they're gonna try again. And 
And, you know, you think they're all sitting around drinking, I don't know, space insect liquor, you know, and getting drunk and going, all right, right, wait, well, what is it? Hlock, nuck, crock, Make sure he says clock, took in the... All right, all right. Who is it? It's this Picard Joker? Okay. You know, and they get him on there, and they're just like, you know, say our names correctly. <laughs> you are not Picard. Tell him, tell him you're not going to talk to an underling and then hang up. You know, it's just, <laughs> what the fuck, man? It's, I think it's a solid theory because that end sequence, the, you know, we're looking at Picard head on as he's making all the, you know, going, got, no, he yeah. looks completely ridiculous. He looks like he's had a stroke and he's trying to speak or something. Yes, out of the really, corner of one mouth, yeah, outside of his really, mouth, yeah. Yeah, it's it's bad. You know, alright, I I know this episode won awards, but I don't like this one and I don't think it holds up well. I think this this episode in particular is painfully dated and I I think it's embarrassing how how just fucking silly it is. It it just <laughs> it, it's it's a compounding of silliness throughout the entire it just gets worse and worse. It, it has some genuinely, you know, fun and cute moments, but I don't know. I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it just—I don't know. It just—it just goes a little bit too absurd. And that ending with Picard having to say all that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know that. Yeah. Why? Why are we going through? I mean, we, do we ever even hear from these bug people again? You know, why are we bending over backwards for these assholes? You know, it's like, you know, take a standard hello through the universal translator or fuck off, you know? Yeah. Next time they're going to, like, find some sort of, like, ugly space creature and be like, now you must mate with one of our princesses. (laughs) And, like, you know, their father comes in and they're like, why is that guy Picard mating with the fucking cow? And they're like, we told him it was one of our princesses and that he had to do it for relations. And so it's like, Jesus Christ, you guys. I'll give give you this. That is funny. That is funny. But don't let your mother find out you're pulling this shit. Well, you know, when you... When you gave your synopsis, you said, uh, you said something that I think at this point, I think we can pretty (laughs) firmly establish is, uh, not a misnomer, but what, what do you call it? When you say the same thing twice, you you Uh, use two words that basically, what the fuck is that? Redundant. Yeah. Malfunctioning holodeck. We can just drop the malfunctioning at this point. Because when does the fucking thing work, right? From from this episode on, and, and granted, I, I will freely admit that a lot of my criticisms about this episode come down to really not being so much about episode so much as the precedent that gets established with this episode. From this point on, I'm going to start keeping a tally of of holodeck moments. You know, when we actually see the holodeck, I'm going to start keeping a tally of when it works 
versus when it doesn't work. And I'm willing to bet that... Well, we're at one probably, and one right now. Yeah, probably 85% of or better, the fucking thing doesn't work. Or something goes wrong. We're you know? 50-50 right now. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And I think that's a lot of the reason why I just... I, I, I don't have the ability to step back and look at this one on its own merits and, and judge it on its own because of the precedent that was established. It just seems like, you know, on quick recollection, every time we... St- uh, 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 and I'm not talking like, you know, when the holodeck just makes an appearance, you know, because I know that there's moments where, yeah, it works just fine. Like yeah, it when, just establishes a scene where somebody's yeah. in the holodeck doing something, yeah. But when yeah, it's exactly. a plot point... Yeah, when it's a holodeck episode, per se, because this is what this is. This episode is a holodeck-centric episode. Whenever we have holodeck-centric episodes from this point out, it seems to my mind that like 99% of things, the holodeck's broke. And it's usually involves some sort of danger where either the people that are inside it are, are in mortal da- danger or, worse yet, the fucking holodeck people or creatures or whatever are getting out into the real world. That well, shit... You know that when that when we get to that that I'm just gonna go off because that really gets on my nerves. No, I'll I'll just say right at, at the beginning I like this episode, but there was a scene that should have been in this episode that we didn't see at the end, where Picard after Picard did his little basically hello how are you thing, <laughs> then he should have said, all right now I'm gonna talk to you in English and you're gonna listen to me in English. You motherfuckers scanned our ship without asking us, and you fucked up the holodeck. I was stuck on the goddamn holodeck. One of our people got shot, and then while that was happening, you had the gall to bitch. Where where is Picard? Where is Picard? We don't want to talk to an underling. Well, you trapped him in the holodeck, you fucking idiot. You know. Did- did Waylon die? I don't think he died. I think they got him out and got him to sickbay, if if I recall right. I don't think we... We really find yeah, out. We don't see a scene again? of him like... Yeah, we don't see a scene of him like laying in sickbay going, I feel much better now. Right. Uh, on a quick, you know, mental, you know, just recollection, which, you know, <laughs> that's always spotty with me. I don't remember ever seeing that guy again. And, you know, typically in episodes like this, the, there would be a one-off line of, uh, hey, Captain, you know, uh, Dr. Crusher just phoned up. She said, he's going to be all right. He's going to pull through. They didn't do that in this one. So, yeah. yeah, the moment that you wanted to see would have been that much better because... And, the, and, 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 and Picard sort of wistfully left the holodeck and went about his business. If I was... If I was the captain of the ship and, and the holodeck just shot, you know, one of my crew and trapped me on it like that, um, and by the next week, that holodeck would be tore out and that's where the sauna would be. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, just my opinion. That was another point I was going to make is, all right, you know, in fairness, I'll I'll give you this one. I'll, I'll give you this yeah. One episode, because you know what, you know, 
e even even amusement park rides break down once in a while. You know, occasionally people even get killed yeah. on. You know, well, this was their West World. You know, have you that? But how many? How many fucking episodes do we have to see the holodeck malfunction? And I'm not talking like. You know, you, you go in and you and you ask it to recreate New York and it recreates Singapore. I'm talking about you go into the fucking thing and, and it tries to kill you. And it tries to fucking kill you. How many times is that going to happen before, you know, the captain or somebody higher up says, you know what, we we reports and uh, we've decided to cancel the uh, the the order with Siemens or whoever the fuck you know. Uh, uh, you know Hewlett Packard, and we're not going to let them have these fucking holodeck things anymore well, because is... people are getting killed okay. and maimed. And well, here's what I'm thinking: you got a holodeck, right? And Hewlett Packard's put in their holodeck. You know, why does it even have subroutines of people killing people in it? Why isn't it when it malfunctions, it, it's not malfunctioning into the porno routine or something like that? It's you know, why <laughs> would there even be any like? You know, scenario where something where the holodecks, well, we put in we put in the whole holodeck trying to kill you scenario, but you never use that one. You know, <laughs> it's just there in case you might want to activate it or whatever. But it's just there. You know, it's like a, it's like an Easter egg or something. You know, That's, I just gotta ask how how boring is Picard as a human being? That his idea of like the perfect getaway vacation thing in the holodeck is to go be a, a private detective in the 1940s. You and know? then he's such a wet. Well, no, that could be exciting, but he's such a wet blanket about it. You know, he's he's he he does the whole fish out of water thing, which is stupid because he's a fan of this character. You know, if we were if we were going into our holodeck to be in the Star Wars universe, and all of a sudden, you know, Greedo's sitting there going, "Oh, the god now," you know, you know what to do. You know how to go. You go, Greedo, you fucking sleazy fucking motherfucker. How you doing? You know, and then the first chance you get, you shoot him, right? But right. you know, these characters show up. They're they're right out of the books, and he's just like. What? What do you mean? You know, and he's get and he's doing all the like weird like reaction of, you know, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, yes, you do understand what you're talking about because when we read Sherlock Holmes books, we you know when we go to when we if we went to the holodeck for Sherlock Holmes, we're not going to be like, what do you mean six pence? What are you talking about this right. governor stuff? You know, you're yeah. going to expect that. You know, and he's all <laughs> acting like, what am I doing here? How did he get to be a fan of of these books and these novels if he doesn't know what the hell they're saying or, or get the, you exactly. know, the, the topical references or whatever? There's a perfect example of this in this episode, one that when I caught it, it drove me nuts. Now, I'll give the, the captain the benefit of the doubt that maybe he's having one of those, you know, I have this all the time where, you know, you and I are talking and I suddenly just blank on whatever the next word is I want to use. You know, we're talking right. about something and I'm just like, you know, that thing, fuck. You know, and you, you, got, you stumble for a moment. However, I, I'll give him that, that maybe that's what happened, but it doesn't feel like it. But what it is, is he's, he's, it's the scene where they come back from the commercial and it's the briefing room scene and he's telling everybody, oh, he's so excited. You know, I went in and I was Dixon Hill and it was really cool and it was the 40s and blah, blah, blah. 
and he's you know, he tells him there's automobiles and then he makes this this hand gesture like a square and he's like and they're like and he's making this gesture and data goes city blocks sir and i'm going jesus don't tell me that there's not city blocks in the 24th century right you know what, right. what fucking system are they using to live by i mean they they show us earth later on and there's city blocks so come come on you know i mean what do they call them something different uh, it was just it's really stupid that that oh was... you mean city squares yeah <laughs> well they called them blocks back then sir yeah um, that's of course how foolish of me you fucking moron but you know but also the right out of the gate this one annoys me because and you and i talked about this the other night all right so the episode starts out and they they immediately establish that they're in the middle of a of a tense diplomatic situation. Twenty years ago, bug people got pissed off because the whole thing didn't go right. Picard's really stressed out about it. He's got to learn this greeting. It's got to go off just right. You know, he's he's cramming for the exam basically. So what happens? Troy walks in, waggles her tits at him, and says, "Hey, Captain. You know, I know you're really stressed. So you know, why don't you go fuck off in the holodeck for the next hour?" You know, right when these people are supposed to show up and he's supposed to deliver an important thing, it's like, is this really the best time for this shit, you know? Wait until well, they do it. they do that whole thing of where you've been studying so hard, if you blow off some steam, it's going to relax you, and when you're relaxed, you're going to deliver it. But she was trying to psychologically well, then why she maneuver give him, a him into... Or something? I mean, why... why... Why go in the future? Would that be so scandalous? You know, I don't think so. <laughs> right? They're progressive about sex, you know, sex, and you know, they could have sex for relaxation, right? I mean, now if Picard, I don't think they would like Picard could get a blowjob on demand, but they're, you know, I mean, come I don't on. know. They they don't they don't interview somebody. You know, at, at the Picard doesn't seem like the kind of captain to get a blowjob, though. He's pretty uptight. It's better, and and let's put it this way: maybe he doesn't <laughs> want the blowjob from Troy anyway. I mean, from come on, let's, yeah, yeah, because, yeah, and and I'm gonna get my complaints out of the way because the bottom line is I like this episode. I'll I'll tell you why I like it later, but I'll 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 bitch with you here for a while. Um. Dixon Hill? I mean, they should have, you know, named him... Dick, why couldn't he be like Sam Spade or, you know... I mean, uh, is there a copyright thing? Maybe there is, but Dixon Hill? Dixon And I understand, butts. you know, Private Dick, Dixon Hill, it makes it sound... But it sounds like a cheesy, made-up 40s style, and it just sounds... You know, maybe he, it, it, I, I, you know, maybe he should have been Dixon Butts, you know, <laughs> private eye, <laughs> you know, but I mean, because really he, he sort of, although he is getting hot and bothered over the doctor at, at one point, they get, they get a little, you know, they get dressed up in costumes and it's like, let's go back to our, you know, go back to my office and, you know, Data, of course, is like, I'll go too, I'll tag along. And they're just like, fuck, man. Hate the robot cock blocker. Come on, let's go. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, at, at the end where they had the, the his one friend who was the cop, you know, who meets him with the bottle, and at the end the guy's like, so what, you're saying I'm just a computer program? And he's getting all wistful. What about my wife and kids? I honestly can't tell you about your wife and kids. I would have been like, Oh no! Fuck them. They're just a subroutine. <laughs> they do. They do. They definitely do not exist, dude. I'm telling you right now, they definitely do not exist. Sorry, <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> You're an evil and he has, man. They have this whole wistful thing where they like, you know, shake hands and have a uncomfortable moment there, and that's when I was thinking Dixon Hill might be that kind of detective you know what I'm saying (laughs) you know what I mean a a butt detective (laughs) (laughs) there was just like the subtext of it and it sort of seems to I don't know maybe I and I don't even take that as as a negative but that's just something I noticed in this and it's weird because in these early episodes or through the whole show they really had the sort of um, romantic undercurrent of him and the doctor, you know, and and whatever past they had that was established right from the beginning. But yeah, maybe the he was he is he is French, right? You know, so <laughs> just to be completely <laughs> politically incorrect. But I don't know what the future French are like. There goes our. But French we know what the French are like now. <laughs> there goes our French listenership right out right out the window. I, you know, I don't know how many French, you know, pretty soon, guys, expect us. We're going to go through our, we're going to do a little Two True Freaks international roundup shout out because our Libsyn site now tells us who's downloading, not who is, but where it's going. So we're going to have a little uh, March of Nations, but that's just a little sideline. <laughs> so all our international listeners get ready for that, whatever. We're not, you know, we're not going to get, like, really into it and, like, actually learn how, like, the bug people learn how to say hello in your native language. Although that's what we should have done for this show. We should have just learned to greet everybody in their native language and at the end of the show, you know. (laughs) Buenos dias! Next, I think that's French, right? Next month, this episode will be in Mongolian, <laughs> and then we'll pick a language. We'll pick a new language every month from here on out. I've always wanted to learn other languages, and this would be the perfect excuse to have to learn a new language every week. Yeah. Okay. Let's go for it. Oh, that is way too much pressure. So, anyway, Dixon Hill, Dixon Butts. This is what I like about. <laughs> This is why I like this episode. I can, I, I actually, I can take the comedic aspect of him having to say hello to the insects and, and all that. But what I love about this is this was, they got to trot out two of my favorite character actors for this. Dick Miller and Lawrence Tierney. Yeah. Who's a great, just like gravel-voiced heavy, you know? And he's a great character in this. He's the, he's the the kingpin type of character, you know. But he's very, he's super intelligent, you know. Who actually, you know, he's so intelligent that he actually wraps his mind around the idea that he's a hologram and that there's a spaceship out there, and actually goes forward with trying to take it over. 
which I thought was a neat scene. But Dick Miller, I do, whenever Dick Miller shows up, it's just like, yay, it's Dick Miller, you know? He's like the hero of Roger Corman land. He's just got that great Popeye jutting chin and uh, that great, you know, just that great voice. He always plays those great working class, you know, yeah. he's, a, he's a newspaper guy in this one, you know, and he's got the cap and it's just perfect, you know? Yeah, and, I, I was really excited to see him in this episode because I always remember him as one of the, the minor characters um, on the uh, Flash TV. Ah. And it occurred to me while I was watching this episode that not only is he in it from the Flash, but the guy who plays the desk sergeant in it, he was in the Flash too. He was, I think he was, uh, I think he was one of the cops in that. If I remember, I think he was Barry's... He looks Superior like the guy who plays Kolchak. Like yeah, he yeah, he like, does. It's not him, but yeah, I know who No, that guy would be too old at yeah. that even at that point, he would have been a lot older than that guy was. Yeah. He that that guy the de the desk officer reminded me of a character from like that you would have seen on original Trek too. He just had that look. Yeah. And that and that's what's awesome about it is if you did go into the holodeck, it would be inhabited by great character actors, you know, all the all the characters would be like that, you know, they would be caricatures and exaggerations. Right. So I love that aspect of it. And the guy who played the sort of Peter Laurie weasel character who shot the the historian guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, he was okay, he was supposed to be Peter Laurie, a Peter Laurie character. But I think he really now I don't I, I know you, you don't listen to much fire sign theater but there was a one fire sign theater with nick danger uh the the detective uh -huh. and his foil is rocky rococo who's sort of a parody of of um peter laurie and this guy was pure rocky rococo <laughs> you know he was like he was he was a parody of a parody uh, or you know or like a copy of a parody of peter laurie and i loved it i, I was like I really think they actually just were giving a shout out to, you know, the um, Fireside Theater here. So I was I was all into that. Um, one question that I have uh -huh. for you or for anybody is, uh, the okay, the holodeck's doing its thing. Does it actually? I, I mean, is it doing stuff like the way it create? You know, they create food, and and. Is that why the guy could get shot with a real bullet and Picard still had lipstick on his face when he went to the, you know, back to the bridge or to the meeting room? You know, remember the... Yeah. Beverly's wiping the lipstick off his face? It was... I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually one of my notes. Um, I have a problem with the... Hol you see, I like the idea of the holodeck. I, I don't want to create the impression that I think the holodeck is stupid or anything because I don't. Because I remember when... I think I know where you're going with this. I, I remember the the original idea of the holodeck came up in, I want to say it was one of Alan Dean Foster's novels. You know, one of the uh, Star Trek logs that were the adaptations of the animated series. Right. Now, I could... And if somebody knows differently, please write in and correct me because I, I want I want to know what story that was because I've I've been desperate to reread that for a long time now. I just can't remember where I read it, but I remember somebody I want to say it might have been even been Sulu came up with this idea of 
uh, of basically the holodeck, you know, where where the transporter technology, you know, because it can turn matter into energy and back again, they came up with the idea of, of taking just junk matter, for example, like say, I don't know, a bunch of rocks or something, beaming it into the transporter and then having it come out in a different pattern rather than the original pattern that it was in. And I liked that idea. And I still like that idea. I think that as the holodeck is a cool idea that you just have a bunch of matter somewhere or maybe just energy. You know, the matter has already been converted into energy and it's being stored somewhere. And that's where the computer is pulling all this shit from that it can recreate into. Well, that's, you yeah, know, that's, I mean, that's how the transporter works anyway. It wouldn't right. even have, as long as there's energy, as long as the ship's you know batteries are creating energy it could make matter from it right so i i like that idea but the the holodeck that we got in next gen to me seems very inconsistent yeah you don't get any i thought that's what you were going to say you don't know the rules for it yeah they it, seem to change all they the time do constantly change because they'll the there will be times I don't think it's been stated yet, but it will be stated at some point that matter formed on the holodeck cannot exist off of the holodeck. I don't know that that makes sense. I think this episode, the way it presents it in this one, makes sense in the idea that everything seems to be real except the people. You know, when when Red Block and his goon left the holodeck they ceased to exist now i have a problem with that scene because in my mind as soon as they walk in the hall out in the hallway they, they should just turn off yeah they should just blink out like turning off a light switch i i hate that scene of them actually walking into the corridor and then and doing that stupid dissolve where their feet go it just looks really bad it looks like something out of i don't know bewitched or something it's well really that's what i was saying it was their wicked witch of their west you know oh what yeah. a world what a yeah. world it, it's really really bad you know i and don't get me wrong i like i like the scene as it's written or whatever it's it's just that special effect looks really bad and they they should have just simply walked out there and and poofed out of existence you know without the little you know like you say what a world scene or whatever anyway you know but i i like the idea that anything how am i trying to explain it like the lipstick in later episodes characters will walk out of the holodeck and and whatever's on them like that won't it, it doesn't exist off the holodeck but in these early episodes, it does, because I remember there's an episode where Picard gets hit with a snowball that's thrown on the holodeck. It's thrown, it comes out the door, and it hits him. Yeah. And it continues to exist. But then somewhere along the line, the premise seems to change to where the, these things don't continue to exist. So I don't know. It, it's really awkward how that whole thing works, because when he walked out with the lipstick my my first reaction was well, wait a minute that shouldn't that go away and then i was like no that must be something that comes along later so i'm wondering why they changed it or, or how that whole premise got turned around so because later on 
even the, the, the explanation of how the holodeck works seems to alter because then it becomes all about hologram and force fields and all these sorts of things. Because somebody in some, it may not be next gen, but in some iteration of Star Trek, the holodeck is explained to somebody. And it's explained that, you know, these aren't really solid objects. You know, it's using, you know, force fields and things like that to make these holograms feel the way that they do, but they're not actual solid objects. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. You know, that's not the explanation that was given in the very first episode. Because when uh, Riker comes to see Data on the holodeck... They discuss how it works, and Data says something to the effect that, you know, they're basically using transporter technology to create solid objects. So, I don't know, it seems very inconsistent to me. And then they, they pull the whole thing of, like, you know, and the holodeck subtly, you know, walks you around in circles to make it seem like there's a bigger amount of space and all that, oh, whatever. <laughs> I like that idea to a certain uh, to a certain extent, but where it falls apart for me is when, you know, when when a character will walk into the holodeck and the holodeck's already been running, and you you know you see a character walk in to one part, and a part where somebody the character could have that's walked already in to there. before, yeah, that yeah, the wall's right there and somebody hasn't bumped into it. Well, not just that, but like. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, like say I don't know, like the captain, for example, will go to the holodeck looking for I don't know, say Data, and he walks into a scene, and Data might be hundreds of yards away, and he's got to actually walk all the way over to where Data is. Now there is a bullshit explanation for how that works. It's all done with the computer creates illusions and shit so that you know depending it on where you are turns you around into yeah. spirals and stuff like that yeah. yeah yeah it creates this illusion of distance and you know but i i call bullshit on that you know i mean it can only work so you know nothing else in star trek seems to work that efficiently how how does this work so efficiently that i i can walk into the same room that you are that you're in that's you know 20 feet on each side Yet it creates the perfect illusion that you're standing, you know, half a mile from me. I, I don't buy it. I just don't. It, it, I don't believe that it could work that, you know, that perfectly. But anyway, that's kind of off the point. But one of the things that bugs me in this, and again, maybe it shouldn't because maybe I'm projecting future iterations of the holodeck upon this episode but I don't like that the holodeck characters see Picard as he really is. When he first yes. walks in, they can see him in his uniform and everything because clearly that doesn't happen later. Because, you know, using, say, just generations as an example, when Worf comes walking up out of the the brig or whatever it is in yeah, generations... Yeah, they're not like, dude, what is wrong with your head? Yeah, what the fuck? You're a werewolf or whatever. You know, they, they don't... Yeah. You know, nobody freaks out. So they don't see him as a Klingon. You know, shit like that. Yeah, so, why would you waste all the, the processing power to have them doing stuff like recognizing whether the person was in the proper costume or not? Just, yeah, just right. assume that they were. Right. Yeah, they should be able to be standing there buck naked and... 
and nobody would notice. Nobody now, from the holodeck would notice. <laughs> when Picard walks out of the holodeck that first time, doesn't he tell the computer save program? Yes. Something to that right. effect, yeah. Then he he goes and he blabs to everybody how awesome it is. He invites the doctor and Whalen and then Data accompanies them. They all walk into that street scene and the woman that he had seen just a little while ago is dead. So time passed. But, you know, I mean, did he tell it to progress time? No, it probably just progresses time to the next story point. You know, it's oh, running. It's, okay. it's you know, it's like a it's it's a it's a game. You know, it's a story. So, you yeah, know, it goes sense. from you know, there's there's nothing to happen in between that. That's what triggers off the story. So, you get it just like the book. You make out with the dame. She makes her, you know, gives you you gives you her her pitch, and then you take it, and then you're on the mystery, and then she's dead, and then they want you you know you're wanted by the law. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I didn't I didn't really wonder about that so much because I figured that's how it would because it would be really tedious if you had to like go home and go to bed you know shit I just thought of something My... of course it could be like um Grand Theft Auto where you go out steal a car <laughs> run some people over now that would be awesome to play Grand Theft Auto on, on the holodeck. That would be cool as shit. I'd like that. Grand Theft Auto number one. Remember, it was a classic <laughs> video game from the 90s. <laughs> the 1990s. They should do that kind of shit. I just thought of something. I was looking at my, my next note here, which was... Uh, there, there's a moment in the episode where, uh, once again, you know, Wesley's saving the day. By the way... All right, spoiler alert for those that aren't familiar with what's coming along with Next Gen. You know, I know that we've been kind of playing this little game of of pretending and not spoiling ahead on things, but I'm going to spoil ahead on one thing here because I can't discuss it without. But all right, at the beginning of Season 2, we see that Jordy's been promoted, and Jordy gets promoted to Chief Engineer. How the hell was Jordy promoted and not Wesley? Wesley's the one that saves the fucking ship every episode, right? He's the one that's the whiz kid. I mean, isn't he? might he... just be too young. <laughs> he just might be not old enough to hold that rank. Oh, I, I know. I mean, I'm being facetious, but I mean, come on. Jesus, the kid, he saves the ship every episode. It's really old. But anyway, there's a great moment where he lays it out to Riker and he says well you know we have a fix for this but you know there's a real danger that you know the the holodeck will shut down and it'll take everybody with it and I was just going to comment that I really liked that scene I really liked that idea but then again that plays back into what we were just talking about you know so clearly in this iteration the holodeck still functions the way it was originally described in the first episode, where it actually is using the the matter energy thing to create matter. So, you know, in, in this instance, if it shuts down, it's going to, you know, derez everything that's in there, including the people. That doesn't make sense to me. Why? It's 
because it seems like the root because the people in it aren't part of the routine that the you know the program that it's playing you right know? but it's on the fritz right but if it goes out it's gonna what like transport you into nothing it's going to grab onto you you know right just, exactly yeah that's that's um that's probably something that you shouldn't <laughs> you shouldn't have in your in your holodeck you should have it so if it if it goes on the fritz and somebody pulls a plug on it what happens is all of a sudden it's a bunch of people standing in a blank room you know that's well, what... or no i mean i mean that's how it's supposed to work that's not like a standard uh you know standard equipment on a holodeck that you know it, it derezzes and takes you with it no i mean but you know it's clearly it's it's fucking in you this, know yeah, on the, the fritz and it's all broken shit and so they're trying to fix it you know, because that's that's how uh, Whalen was able to be shot is because the safeties got got disabled and he he shouldn't have been injured. You know the the you know, but they use that all the time. You know, well, that's the on. thing is there should there should be no way that the holodeck even malfunctioning should be able to create a bullet that would puncture flesh. You know, right? It just seems to be like something you wouldn't even bother having it do. Right. So so it shouldn't malfunction into it so I don't know but you know it, yeah after the, the, the holodeck technically probably should never sh- shouldn't have shown up for years after this because I mean you would think this would trigger a major major overhaul and like a few years of testing before anybody else would want to walk into that thing right. again Picard looks like he's ready to go back, though, at the end of it. He's like, you know, he walks off it, you know, all just, like, wistful about leaving that world or whatever instead of, like, you know, get that goddamn holodeck off my ship, you know. It tried to kill me. Well, you know, he's uh, he's ready to try the deep pro- deep throat program next, you know, so, uh-huh. you know, he's, he's, good. he's good with it. But, no, you know, you raise an excellent point. You know, I, 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 I hope I'm not beating you know this this thing to death with the holodeck, but I'm fascinated by it because, you know, like you say, it it doesn't seem like they play by their own rules with the thing. Well, that's what makes things, that's what makes things like the holodeck, the concept, sci-fi concepts like that interesting. Is you know, when the rules are laid down, then you have the framework to work from it. And they can play off that, and it's interesting. But if the rules keep changing and stuff, then all of a sudden you're focusing on that instead of, you know. I mean, the perfect example were the gremlins, you know. When they had the gremlins, when they were Mogwai, it was like, don't feed them after, you know. Here's the rules, blah, blah, blah. And if you do this, if you throw them in water, this happens. If you feed them, this happens. So, and then every story element is played off those rules. So the... They should have based everything that ever happened with the holodeck off the rules of the holodeck. Right. And and that would have been cool because after a while, everybody would have understood the and been on the same page all the time, you know. But, yeah. It I, never, I you never really, you never, you, you were all, and, and, and of course in the original series, it might have been like six months ago that you saw the last time the holodeck was in there. So you're sitting there thinking to yourself, now wait, was it like this before? Because I seem to remember it was like that, but maybe it's just me. And you know, that's what I sort of remember every time the holodeck came into play. When I originally watched this, I was always trying to second guess 
whether you know what was happening was right or consistent with whatever happened before because it didn't seem to be i, I remember can never what i was be sure. thinking was uh, uh about the holographic bullets you, you brought up an excellent point because now that you think about it beyond the fact that why would you put yourself or, or anybody else in real danger real physical danger by having the holographically you know, create ammo for the for the guns that are in there and things like that. Beyond that, safety concern. Also, all right, say that the holodeck really is using transporter technology to create the solid objects. The one thing it can't create is people. I mean, the people that are right. in there, the, the, the holographic characters, exactly that. They're holograms because it can't create life it, it, you know so those are not flesh and they're, blood. Comput they're computer programs right so given that that the people in there are simply made of you know solidified light or whatever the fuck uh, again that begs the question so why is there ammo in the guns you know it that doesn't make any sense it, it really you know if you shot one of them you know, it, it's not going to really injure them or, or anything like that. So yeah. all the computer would have to do was create, you know, the, it would be uh, like a video game. You aim yeah. at it, and they would know where the bullet would go, and then the person falls over. Okay, react. Yeah, they react over. And, and since you can't be shot because that's you know that's beyond the limits of the safety features of the game, then the computer's not going to be a bullet that comes toward you that has to, you know, evaporate or whatever the fuck so that really does beg the question of how the hell did Whalen get shot in that episode because how you know safety's disabled aside it shouldn't have been creating bullets in the first place because there's no need for them so right, yeah that right. doesn't make any logical sense I guess I'm I guess I'm way overthinking this doesn't make any logical sense no, I don't think you're overthinking it because it's a major concern of it that, you know... Right. I mean, the if, if, if that's the case, the potential for somebody who wanted to off somebody could just make up a character that waits for the person that they hate to show up in the holodeck and then chop their head off, you know? Right. And you'd be like, I don't know, I didn't touch them. They'd win the holodeck and then they were beheaded. You know, you tell me what happened. So... Well, I'm hoping at the very least that this that this discussion will will spur some real uh, feedback and some real discussion either you know either through emails or uh, on the forum or something because I'm I'm sure that well I'm sure people have had this conversation yeah. elsewhere at other times so yeah I'd be curious to see what yeah. other people have come up with on this one yeah I really want to know what people think I just thought of you know there's a a line by Picard years from this episode where he's once again Dixon Hill and he's on the holodeck in First Contact and he uses a machine gun to take out one of the Borg and the woman that he's with says something to the effect of you know how the hell did you do that and Picard says well I disabled the safeties so even a holographic bullet and I'm thinking no it's not a fucking holographic bullet it's the people are holograms. Everything else in there should be real, right? 
that's where I'm confused on this thing. I, I'm totally lost on this idea of what's real and what's not in the holodeck. You know, what's what's an actual physical real world object in there and what's not? Because I was under the impression by the holodeck as we see it in Encounter at Farpoint that the rocks and the trees and the water and the plants and everything in there is real. And the only thing that was actually a hologram was the 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 walls of the room, the borders, so to speak. Right. Because there's that part where Data even picks up a rock and chunks it at the wall, does that pixelated warble effect to show that this isn't real, it's just an illusion. And it freaks Riker out. He's like, holy shit, I didn't even see that, you know? So how did we get from that to way later on where nothing, you know, it's all made of, you know, like solid light or whatever the hell, however they explain it. It's called inconsistent writing. Yeah. (laughs) That's all that there is to that, you know, it's. Yeah. There's, there's no sense in really trying to retcon it or, or you know, y- you've noticed I haven't tried to force this one into some sort of meaning, which is <laughs> something I usually try to do. I don't even try with the, the freaking holodeck. <laughs> hey, you, you know, know, I just thought of something else. Something else uh, you're, you're lacking in this episode is finding some common theme throughout both episodes and our comic this time just vaguely uh oh vaguely 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 of the well, well we, we we it was was it in the original series one that we mentioned that you know we mentioned Gary Mitchell that they should have remembered Gary Mitchell uh-huh as far as like you know a, a godlike character well, there's a Gary Mitchell moment. In the, you see, this is a real stretch. There's a Gary Mitchell moment in this um, one where Data's reading all the Dixon Hill books. And, you know, the the pages are flashing by on the computer. And Data's eyes are, you know, those white eyes. It was just a total flashback to me to Gary Mitchell reading the ship's computer banks, you know. Where you don't, you see the... You see the things flashing by, and you see the reflection of their face on the computer screen as they read everything. But yeah, that is a stretch. I can't really think of, uh, um, you know, both both of them do feature a melodramatic melodramatic aliens, but <laughs> that's Star Trek in general, anyway. You know, <laughs> that's not anything too special. No, I can't. I cannot think of anything. I, I couldn't the, either. the The universe wasn't. You know, I guess. I guess both of them had to do with a universe, be like one where they were afraid the universe was going, where the problem was the universe was going to disappear, and the other one, the problem on the holodeck is that the universe was stuck there. <laughs> Stretch, just a pathetic stretch never mind there's just no connection maybe a <laughs> listener maybe a listener can come up with something you know maybe they could it might be something i have to sleep on to yeah to come we'll up put, with we'll put the pressure on them this time you guys yeah can... the pressure's on guys <laughs> slackers i found it very interesting that the uh writer and the director 
for this episode suggested originally that the holodeck scenes that take place in the 40s be shot in uh, black and white, but the uh, producers uh, wouldn't let them do it. The holodeck, you know, wouldn't wouldn't do black and white, basically, so they didn't go with it. Wouldn't it wouldn't make sense, it was, yeah. But it's funny because later on in Voyager, there was some really cool episodes and some cool scenes where um, Tom Paris was playing uh, a, an old... Uh, it was supposed to be like an old Republic serial called Captain Proton. And when they would go into the holodeck and play that pro, it was all in black and white. And it was really cool. And somebody even commented on it while they were in there. They were like, whoa, we're in black and white. And, you know, he said, yeah, you know, the holodeck does, you know, bibbly bobbledy to to make us look like we're, you know, monochromatic is what they called it. Well, so that's that what really I would cool. If I was going to do that, I would have just left all the people in the holodeck regular color people and had everything else black and white. That's how I would have communicated that, you know? Yeah, that's not a bad idea either. I would have visually just shown, you know, here's the real people and here's everything created by the holodeck. <laughs> because everything would, and, and that would make sense that it just created everything monochromatically instead of like putting a thin layer of monochromatic light over everybody, you know? Well, it's like that stupid Star Wars comic we read a few months back where, you know, they had, like, holograms projected over them to oh God. to be somebody else or something or to look like somebody else, some stupid shit like that. Yeah. That was stupid. Well, my last note is uh, for everybody who thinks I'm such a DS9 hater, uh, my last note actually is a DS9 note that uh, I really, really liked the moment in this where, where data was doing the whole spiel about, uh, Joe DiMaggio and, you know, telling about his record and all that. And, uh, what was that guy's name? Dylan something. The, the news hack shot Miller, Dick Miller, Dick the Miller. Data, yeah. yeah. Dick Miller, you know, said something about, you know, we reacted to what data said, but anyway, Data made this the reference that in the year 20 whatever 2026 or whatever year it was you know the DiMaggio record would be broken and all that it's really cool that years later in DS9 we actually get to meet the character that broke that record because it turns out that he is the idol of uh uh, Cisco, the commander of DS9, idolizes that. It's like his hero. And it is uh, uh, Buck Bakai. So I thought that was neat that, you know, somebody remembered that little tidbit from this episode and actually spun, you know, future episodes and in, in a, in a character. Buck Bakai? Yeah, Buck Bakai was his name. Was he yeah. named by a chicken? Was his mother a chicken? <laughs> what do you want to call him? Buck <laughs> <laughs> that's all i got for this one i you know I, maybe i was overly harsh on it i don't i i don't know i can't tell but i you know in, in the end i enjoyed it i liked it you know but i'll you know seeing lawrence tierney and dick miller just made it for me and i can blow off all the obnoxious alien stuff is almost like comedy relief you know so i i enjoyed it but i can also it, it is ripe for picking on, you know. <laughs> I'm trying it is, to remember it's just what, very easy. 
trying to remember what next episode is because I'm actually really looking forward to next week's or ne- excuse me next month's next month's episode. Oh, it's a uh, data lore. Ah, oh, that's a good one. I remember when that one came out. I was just like, oh, this is brilliant, and you know, and it's a nice little little flashback to. <gasps> Wouldn't it be awesome? Let's fire up the old uh, Star Trek computer here. Uh oh. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Oh, I know it'd be just awesome. (laughs) I know it's your. Wouldn't it be just so rockin' if the enemy within was the one that came up? So we'd have two evil twin episodes. Two evil twin episodes. You know, I don't know what the the odds are. What like one? It's not one in seventy-seven anymore because we've. Yeah, we've knocked a lot of them off now. Yeah. Alright, I'm firing up the computer. We'll just see what uh what number it spits out. Forty-eight? I don't think that's the enemy within. Number forty-eight is Oh god. A private <laughs> This is the third month in a row that you've done that. <laughs> A private little war. Now, if I remember right, the only thing I remember about this is the one with the Mugatu and uh, where that woman rubs dog shit on, on Captain Kirk. Yes, nice. <laughs> I love the Mugatu. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought the Mugatu was on the one with Kirok in it. No, no, that's... uh. Oh, is that Paradise Syndrome? Is that the Paradise name of that Syndrome. one? Yeah. I think you are correct. Yeah. I am Kirok. I, love, I that. love that episode. Yeah. No, that I don't I don't think there's any monsters in that one. Yeah, I really can't remember what the fuck a private little war is all about. I really don't. I remember well, isn't that the one where it's got the Everybody, all the guys have white hair, and they they almost look like the same people from the Apple, if I remember right. Oh, right, right. Yeah, but, I mean, beyond that, I don't remember. What the hell is that episode about? We'll find out soon We'll find enough. out, yeah, because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I remember not liking it, though. So, yeah. Uh, so join us next month for Data Lore, A Private Little War, which we don't know what the hell it is, except it's going to have the <laughs> Magatu, which I love, and and uh, the next issue of DC Star Trek, which will be a Seventh. brand new story, number 17. Yep. <sighs> wow. <laughs> Way to take it out with a bang. I shall act as translator here. Open hailing frequencies. Frequencies open, sir. This is Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the Enterprise. 
I am an inferior human with a laughable thorax. I prostate myself in front of my superiors. I offer you my mother for sexual congress. You have honored us with your words of greeting. A new day dawns between us. Maybe I'm in the groove and my job's improved. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.